0: This has been an extraordinary year filled with too many stresses to count. It's important to your health and to those around you to check in with yourself and others to make sure everyone is okay. This holiday season can be especially stressful, but remember that you don't have to go through any of this alone. There are folks who support you and want to see you okay so that we all come out on the other side of this together. Don't forget that, and don't be afraid to speak up if you need a hand. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week, I'm calling out to the West Coast and talking with Laura Ulrich, the small batch brewer at Stone Brewing Company and the current president of the Pink Boots Society. Before we get into all of that, I'm happy to say that Cigar City Brewing is this episode's sponsor. And joining me right now on the line is Mark Lapierre. He is the brewery operations manager. And we're talking about Hunabu's Imperial Stout, which is a beer synonymous with the brewery. Mark, everybody seems to know this beer from Cigar City, but maybe not the origins. So can you talk about that for a moment?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, the Hunapu beer uh, started as a recipe from our brewmaster, Wayne Wambles, uh, before he even came to Cigar City Brewing. Um, I think he was experimenting with different type of chili peppers at the time, uh, trying to come up with a mole style of beer. And uh, Hunipu is the result.
0: So we think about it coming out every spring, which is something that a lot of beer fans rightly look forward to. Does the recipe change from year over year?
1: Uh, No, since I've been here, uh, it's been the same base beer, same uh, adjuncts. The only thing we change is uh, probably the amounts of the adjuncts and the time we're spinning it. We're constantly treating it and tasting it kind of to dial it in um, as much as we can.
0: So it's really one of those beers that makes for a great vertical if you can get a couple of years in a row lined up.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Cool. Well, Mark will be back with me later on in the show to talk more about Hunwu's Imperial Stout, but in the meantime, you should check out CigarCityBrewing.com for more information. There's so much to get to this week in this conversation recorded fresh for your ears, mere hours before it was posted, but such is life in the fast-paced world of beer today. Laura Ulrich is the small-batch brewer at Stone Brewing Company. Yes, Stone is one of the larger craft breweries in America and has succeeded over the years with in-your-face marketing and a fondness for West Coast IPA. But like most breweries their size, there's a smaller component, experimental batches, that might one day become larger releases that either serve the pubs or specialty accounts or go nowhere at all. So what's it like, warts and all, to have a job where the beer carries a familiar brand name but the liquid might not be what some customers expect? We'll get into that. And then we're also talking about Pink Boots, where Laura currently serves as the president of the organization. From how she came to be involved from the start to its evolution and to where she'd like to see it go. Education is key to elevating the whole segment, something that the organization has put front and center. And I was thinking about it, that over the last couple of months, much like you, I really haven't spent enough time in breweries. And I miss this. I miss the sights. I miss the smells. And I certainly miss the fresh pours. So that's where I started off with Laura. What's currently in the tanks where she's working? Here's our conversation. What's in the tanks right now that's getting you excited?
2: What's what's getting me excited? Oh, gosh. COVID vaccine, potentially?
0: Okay. <laughs> No, in, in, uh, in like your brewing tanks that you've made oh, recently, are you cooking oh, up? Are you cooking up vaccines <laughs> at the Stone Brewing Company?
2: I'm not. That would be really awesome, though. Um, <laughs> what's in our tanks? You know, right now we've got uh, a lot of hop trials, kind of coming off um, or coming up. So we've been focusing on a lot on that. One of the so I run, i work on the small batch system that's inside Escondido, the brewery there. So it's a seven barrel mark system. So a lot of what we focus on is, you know, if there is a hop recipe change, if there is a yeast change, or if they're trialing a different temperature, um, or grain, or, you know, whatever, we're kind of the the incubator group that does that. There's also Chris at Liberty Station, and then Steve at Napa. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they get a little bit more of like, Free flowing uh, creativity with whatever they're doing to to satisfy those tap rooms, right? In that in Liberty Station and then Napa. So we right now right now in our tanks, I'm running through a lot of uh, of the hop trials. Uh, we have some newly uh, processed hops that is coming from our um, that was pulled for our harvest to test to test out and trial. So we've got those going on. Um, we've got a lot of low calorie beers that we're trialing as well. And I think I'm kind of interested in that maybe because it's on the lower ABV spectrum and I'm uh, trying not to drink so much these days. Yeah. You and me both. I know it's kind of hard though.
0: COVID makes it difficult. I think it's. Uh... Yeah.
2: and I, But you know, these lower ABV beers, um, you know, I know we're kind of going into the colder season. So, you know, a, a stout or, um, you know, a brown ale might be kind of nice, but we're kind of in an unseasonably warm right now. It's, It was like seventy-eight for San Diego, so okay.
0: Yeah, as I'm here in New York Metro right now, and it's thirty degrees out my window. So no, it's not snowing yet, but you know, soon we had flurries today.
2: Uh Uh, So I think right now, I think that's kind of. I'm kind of looking forward to some of the lower. uh, Not that I'm trying to watch my weight or anything, but the lower calorie, lower ABV beers.
0: Do those go hand in hand these days? I, I I know there's like a big marketing push behind that, but when you are
2: I think it happened. It's going to happen naturally, right? You, you cut ABV, you're going to get lower car. You're going to get lower, um, calories.
0: Is there an appeal though for, as a brewer trying to, to start with one of those in mind, you know, trying to start with lower ABV or trying to start with lower calorie? Is there, as you start trialing stuff out, like, is there a different thought process or do they have to go tandem?
2: No, I think I, I, I think you nailed it on the first and it's your thought process is kind of leaning towards that and so you're you're looking at how you can do it where you still have the mouthfeel, you still have the body of a beer so it doesn't just taste like you know carbonated water. Um you definitely want there to be some some body. So you know, you're looking at whatever you can add whether it's um a little bit of of uh wheat or you know a little bit of um I don't even know. Um just anything that's got the the body, you got a little bit of the amylo that, that helps to dry, drop it and dry it out a little bit. So that that's helpful. Um, You know, a lot of the recipes that we're doing are not coming directly from me. They're coming from, you know, the higher ups that are kind of uh, telling us <laughs> what they're expecting and what they'd like to hit. And then I've got a, a boss who is using his head and his brain and, you know, formulating and reformulating. And he comes from Miller. So, He's got a, a decent background, Miller and then Gallo. So he's got a, different, a decent background on, you know, what it takes to make good, low calorie, you know, low ABV beer and what it takes to not.
0: So When you start trying to think about, you know, some of the recipes though, because I mean, I even if you're taking orders from other folks, I mean, you must be thinking about this as well as a brewer and as somebody who's messing around with it. It, it does seem to me that it's, it's falling into the session IPAs or the loggers or blonde ales, I, 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 there's a lot of commonality in what we're seeing as far as the, the low cal, um type stuff. Can but there be I, a breakthrough I, at some point with some of the, like, I don't know if I want like a low ABV quad and I guess by definition, like there it wouldn't be. Um
2: Right. I think, I think there's like some sort of like study that they were showing that those that were, Typically drinking, you know, higher IPAs. If you know, if their beer of choice wasn't around, they were kind of switching to a blonde ale. Um, so I, I think there's, I think there's some. I don't, I don't know why that is. Like I don't, I don't, I don't understand that thought process. I mean, the the beer I'm drinking right now is our features and benefit, and it's an IPA, so it's got some bitterness still in it, and it's got a little bit of hot hop character. So it's kind of satisfying for me. My IPA want because i'm an ipa drinker yeah but you know i i'm sure there's lots of people that are crunching numbers based on people who are buying something and that are kind of giving us this forecast of like this is you know if you, if you don't have this then you're going to lead with this so i think there's a little bit of thought process when it comes to that but i don't know how much
0: If I can jump back a little bit to the hop trials, because you know this is that sort of fun part of year where the lots that brewers picked are starting to come in, and people are starting to see you know what sort of mileage they can get out of get out of different things. And I'm I'm curious as to what has impressed you as far as either new varieties or you know messing around with combinations or you know or what. But you know in the last couple weeks as you've been playing around with the the 2020 hop crop what stands out in your mind
2: um i'm, I'm enjoying i'm enjoying the, the the sabro i think that's still a really unique uh, interesting hop uh the, the mosaic that we're getting is also really nice right now so that's enjoyable talus uh which is formerly known as 692 the number hop mm-hmm. that's a great hop as well um that's you know, got we, some
0: like woody notes to it doesn't it like
2: definitely some woody notes in that one there's also some woody notes in sabro so yeah i was
0: gonna say yeah
2: depending on how you use them and the combination like sabro is definitely not i'd say sabro and and then the tallest are definitely not single hops they need to be used with other hops to kind of either round them out or elevate them or to pare them down so much um we went through a whole i know everyone's re- was really big on the strata kick we've we've tried <laughs> we, we went we tried strata so many times This past summer, and we just didn't, it didn't perform the way, we we didn't find it as stellar. It's a great hop, but it just, it just didn't stand out. What does that
0: mean? Like quantify that for me, if you can.
2: Quantify it. It just, you know, we were seeing, you know, our team was seeing that everyone was really big on, on the strata and that the the berries and the strawberry note, it's so subtle that in our beers, it just seems to get lost it doesn't doesn't stand out it doesn't have any any legs to stand on so it just didn't it wasn't really impressive to us now i've had a strata beer i've had a couple of strata beers that i've really enjoyed but i guess for us the way we were they were presenting to us the way we were presenting it it just wasn't coming through
0: so that begs sort of this interesting question because there are or i think it's an interesting question anyway uh, there, larger breweries and stone is certainly, you know, one of the larger craft in the in the country, over time take on its own DNA, its its own, you know, imprint of you know, what we come to expect from them. But also, you know, there are taste profiles that are built out of, you know, brewers all working in tandem who sort of have a common goal in mind when when you say our beers and you're talking about like um strata not standing up to to it in the way that you like are, are, oh. are there defining characteristics of stone beers in your mind
2: uh for us well yeah i mean for me i guess for me yes because i'm an old i've been with stone for so long that like i look for a, a bitterness level one that's just me personally but when I say it, it it just didn't stand out and, you know, the way we showcased it, you know, there's so many hops and we've used a ton of them that when we put a beer, when we put a hop, we when we do a hop trial or we do a hop innovation beer or a hop engineer beer, and we put it out there, and we put it to the executives, it really has to knock their socks off because it's just going to taste like another IPA and we don't want just another IPA. We don't want to just replicate, um, have an IPA and and just change the hops a little bit. We really want something that's slightly unique, um, from that hop to really kind of showcase itself in order for us to want to put a, you know, put it in a package and then get it to the consumer. Um, I'd say like Tiki Escape was really good about that, uh, where we had put a combination. And forgive me, I don't remember the hops that we used. But the combination. I don't even know this beer, we,
0: Tiki oh Escape. Oh my
2: gosh, it was so good! That's all I drank this summer. It was awesome. It was just so unique. It was like this. It just. It was like hot. It was like a, a true West Coast IPA, but it also had this like tropical, like Cabana, like flavors it was just amazing it was really well put together Sapra was in there i'm sure mosaic was in there um and i'm i'm forgetting the other hops but this was something that we did and and it must have only stayed here in southern california i'm not really sure but no i
0: don't know i mean i just I, I i haven't been to a beer store in in a in, while So since march maybe yeah <laughs>
2: Um, but it, but this beer was so, it, it it was so unique and you kept drinking it and you're like yeah this is this is interesting this is different and you would pick a, every every sip and you would taste something slightly different or something would would be highlighted a little bit further where for us with the Strata, we just it, it wasn't we never got that component and I think in order for us to do a hop engineer and for us to do an IPA. It has to have something slightly unique and different from the hop component in order for us to want to put it in a package and say this is this is a stone beer.
0: I, I just I, answer I, your question, kind of, but I'm just sort of curious to go just like a little bit deeper as to like what. should – So you want to knock the executive socks off? Like I get that, but like, do you want the consumer in a blind taste to be like, oh, that reminds me of stone? Is is there something that you're trying to hit?
2: I don't I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if that's something whenever the executives are drinking, if that's like their their mentality. Okay. I, I just know I, I have no idea on that.
0: Okay. Um when you talk about true West Coast IPA as well, because it, it seems like we are in this sort of fractured state right now and you have people on the internet claiming that uh, West Coast IPA is dead or dying uh, in favor of you know, hazy, juicy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, East Coast variety. W- when you're at a brewery that is synonymous with you know, original generation West Coast IPA or early generations West Coast IPA, um, how do you how do you keep up with that?
2: Well, I, we just how do we keep up with it? Well, we just <laughs> change it. I, I, I don't even know. Um, we just keep making them. As much I I get hazy is is definitely, you know, there's a lot of beers over the last handful of years that they come out and everyone's like, "What? That's a thing? People want that?" You know, I remember we worked really hard one year when we were having some issues with um, our our IPA and there was slight haze and people were returning it because it was hazy. It just so I remember (laughs) I remember these things from the past and I. You know, I, I can have an, a hazy IPA. I enjoy them, but they're not my they're not my personal go to beer. I typically go for a West Coast IPA. I typically judge a brewery based off of if they have a West Coast IPA, um, and if they don't have a West Coast, or if they don't even have an IPA, or if it's a hazy IPA, I tend not to drink them. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, um, it, it's a personal it's a personal preference for me. Um, so. I think for us, I think we're just, obviously there's, there's tiny tweaks that we're making here and there. Um, I think a lot of what we're like, again, going back to the hop innovations, if, if, you know, allowing the hops to stand out and speak for themselves. And by all means, we're, you know, we're making hazies too, and we're trialing hazies. So it's not like we're, we're immune to the system. We're, we're doing our, we're doing everything we can and everything we know to make the best of the best, but you know we are a West Coast brewer, and you know we want some bitterness and we want some hops. And so a yeah. lot of these juicy hazy beers, it's like a lot of it is like, you know, we, we were we're known for using a lot of hops, and a lot of these hazy IPAs and stuff are they're not they're not very hoppy, right? They're it's a whole lot of mouthfeel. Um, there's not a whole lot of bitterness. It's all a bunch of late hopping and then aroma hopping. So,
0: I I <laughs> I, I I had to to smile a couple years ago when. Stone did put out a, a, a an East Coast IPA uh, and named it FML, which I thought was really, you know, a, a pretty clever nod. Um to But we're
2: still doing FML. FML's still selling, so we're still making that beer. Um <laughs> sometimes that you know, that's based off of uh, what, fear movie Lines? the yeah. where you know, when I saw it, I was like, FML, that says fuck my life. Like yeah. that's interesting, but
0: well play on words that's right? a that's a tough thing to get past the TTB, i imagine but um I, i'm curious as to though cuz you're out and you're, i guess pre-covid you were out speaking to groups of people and you were out and about and uh you know being an ambassador for pink boots but also uh for for the brewery and i've found that in the last couple of years having the conversation with newer generation drinkers of you know who've come up on you know this juicy mouthfeel hazy New England style IPAs that it's a tougher sell to get them to go back and drink a Stone IPA or a Sierra Torpedo or, you know, some of these other beers that, you know, really bitterness, right? Yeah, that bitterness to it. But like using like it, it, it almost sounds like old fashioned now to say, you know, pine or grapefruit or, you know, dank, you know, like, like that used to be like a, you know, like a, you know, a fun, subtle nod of, you know, oh, dank, wink, wink, you know. But now it, it, I, I don't know if. So I guess the question is like. Do you have those conversations with trying to to say, okay, well, you've been drinking this style, you know, why don't you try West Coast? And, and, And if so, how have you sort of approached that with people to make it approachable, to make it understandable?
2: Well, is, is Dank still a hip buzzword?
0: Fuck if I know. I mean, you know, <laughs> nobody has ever accused me of being hip or, you know, or with the times. Um, and I didn't get invited to those parties in high school. So, you know, I, I didn't discover Dank until it was in my beer. But yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I I approach... Uh, it's a great question, by the way. Um, I, think, I think there's beers out there that everyone should try, right? I, I get that sometimes people... I, I try to understand why they like that juicy IPA or why they like the beer that they're drinking. You know, is it, is it, is it reminding them of something or are they doing it because everyone else is doing it? Um, you know, is it a, I was fascinated when we were in, in China where at how much everybody was loved logos, everything was branding. Right. Yeah. And I had no, idea about like that was so interesting to me because I didn't understand it I didn't understand that everything was that that's how they that's how that's how they thought that's how they they were attracted to things was based off of branding and that was just fascinating to me where here in the states it's similar but it's kind of who it who of who of who is doing what and what so <laughs> I, I think I kind of I, I do my best to approach everything with we have a wide range of of beers um, that I think uh, they please people's palates no matter what, and I think our our, our range has gotten wider. It used to be pretty narrow, um, sure. and it may be narrowing a little bit further as COVID and things change. Um, but I feel like we offer different components of um, styles and beers that will attract almost anyone. Um, you know, if you only want to drink a Bud Light or a Miller Light or, you know, th- that's the only thing you're used to. Like, I try and convince my brother to to try my beers, to try Stone's beers, even though he doesn't really – the only beer he really likes is Bud Light. I was going like, to ask,
0: well, yeah. You well, don't, I mean, it's the best-selling know. beer in America, so.
2: It is. And so I, so for him, it would be like, okay, well, try fi- uh, try this features and benefit. Maybe it would fit your palate. And he'd still tell me it would be too bitter. Um, so I think it's a matter of just people trying different beers and – course your palates change throughout the years and I think you know your your flavor changes whatever with whatever you're eating um and I so I just approach it with like you know there's definitely a beer for almost everyone and not everybody has to like beer so I've kind of gotten over that whole thing where like well there's a beer out there for everyone there might not be people may just never they just might not like the mouthfeel or the flavor or the bitterness or the lack of bitterness like the sugariness like there's so many different things in a beer that people are either attracted to or they're not attracted to. So I think that's how I approach it.
0: You, you sort of jog something. And, and I'll just for context, uh, you point, you said when we were in China and, and it was 2018, right, that uh, we were both at the China Craft Brewers Conference uh, giving talks. Right? Was yeah, that was the year it that 20, we?
2: 2018 were... or 2019? It was early remember. 2019. It like no, record. it was like May of
0: 2019. You're right. I apologize. So we were there, and that was such a, a, a wonderfully overwhelming uh, couple of days in uh, in Shanghai. But um, yes. Anyway, um, you jogged something in my mind that when you're doing small batches of stuff, because. Stone hasn't been afraid, especially in the last couple of years, to really start to, to play around with adjuncts. Um, there's been some really cool chocolate beers, and coffee beers, and you know, vanilla, and et cetera, et cetera. And if you're working on a seven-barrel pilot system, I imagine that a little bit goes a long way. But then, And some of those beers can taste pretty amazing and pretty spot on. Where do you start to factor in what you're going to do when it gets scaled up? Because I imagine you have to be thinking about that on a small level of saying, OK, well, this tastes really great on a seven. But if we, you know, even if we just you know, quadrupled the recipe, um, it's not going to hit those same marks.
2: Yeah. You know what? I, I'd say there are two beers that we trialed and trialed and trialed on the pilot system that were um, like so POG, POG, that Christed Liberty Station, which is essentially a Berliner Weiss that's like half Berliner and then half juice. Um, He brewed it at Liberty Station on his, and and his system is, I want to say 15 barrels, but he's got 30 barrel tanks. And so his was fine because he could just add the jugs of of, um, puree. And this beer was such a success uh, that they, you know, they reformulated, they slightly changed formulations. They looked at who they'd get fruit from. Because they knew as soon as they scaled it up, it was such a large volume that needed to be done in the tank. Yeah. That, you know, it's a matter of then, you know, you go and you figure out cost, you go and figure out suppliers, who can provide that much juice or puree, whatever you're using. The other one like that for us was Tangerine Express. So we had made Tangerine Express, which is essentially and I was an IPA, yeah. Yeah, that was on the pilot system and it was a huge success. And so it was a matter of slightly tweaking it here and there, and then they didn't like it, and we went back to the original, and then, you know, leaving it up to procurement to go and source. And we tried different types of pineapple um, on the system to see what we liked and what we didn't like and what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. And we made sure that, you know, when we do small batches, unless it's a single one-off that they know for a fact, this will never be able to go anywhere because of either the ingredients are super unique or weird. Um, or there is no scalability. Then, those are things that are we kind of leave for our our brewers whenever we do the spotlight series, where every year the brewers get together and they get to brew on the pilot system, and then the winner, the or the winning team, you know, either will have their hopefully have their beer scaled up if the availability of the ingredients are there. Um, so it gives the brewers a chance to kind of use whatever weird ingredients. And then I know I did that. I participated with. Cecil, who's also a small batch brewer, and we use sumac. Sumac is not really a cheap ingredient, but also to find it in large quantities. Yeah. We haven't scaled it up yet, uh, but we were the ones that won from ours. And so stuff like that, we tend to do once a year, but other ones, they do look at the full recipe. Steve, you know, Steve Gonzalez looks at the recipe and he was like, you know, what is the scalability? What's the cost? Is this going to cost way too much? Then there may not be any, not necessarily any point, but this may be something to do in Napa or to do a Liberty Station, and keep it a one-time thing.
0: Interesting. So. Okay. So, are, are are there beers that got away that just you trialed out a bunch of times and? Yes.
2: Yes, <laughs> I'd, I'd yes, we I'd say that we 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 just recently have finished a series of probably 10 um, different white ales. And I think they're going back to like the original first. And this, I think, I I think if you were to ask Steve Gonzalez more about this, he would tell you a lot of times
0: he's your brewer in Napa. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's, he's also my boss. Okay. So I think he would tell you that, you know, a lot of times when they throw an idea at him and he gives them three, then they may, the executive team may, nitpick here and there a little bit on one and then so he'll cha- make that change um, and we'll do you know another set and then he'll provide it and they'll be like well you know I originally liked the first one and so it's like this back and forth of a lot of times not a lot of times but sometimes it's like it, you know you have to provide them 10 they forget what they originally said for number one right? but they ultimately you know everything you've done all the changes that they wanted and they realize that no actually the first one was actually totally fine
0: well, and I don't mean this in a bad way but it sounds like a lot of the time the beers that you're making um kind of live in the shadows until they're ready to to be premiered and that yes. there can be a lot of things that uh never see the light of day or you know if they're if they're tasted by folks it's going to be a very very small amount of people um who who get a chance to taste it yes Uh, have there been projects that have been like because of that like are you taking these beers personally are you taking them seriously i I know you're taking them seriously but are you are you taking it like personally like you know i gotta get this out into the world
2: well there's a little bit of taking it personally and seriously in the sense of you know if i um I tend, sometimes I tend to rush too much or too fast and try to accomplish too much in the day. And I will make a mistake similar to what I did yesterday, which is why we didn't talk. Um, <laughs> I over, I, I totally messed up a situation and I tried to actually fix it today and I made it worse. So, um, I'm going to have to rebrew something, which it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, I guess it's the luxury of working on this smaller system. It's, it's a, it's a total bummer, um, and it, it just, it, it, it causes me to kind of say, slow down. What are you doing? You know, you don't have to rush. You're not rushing to get anywhere. You know, why are you forcing the situation? Um, and then, so I guess that's the positive is like when I make a mistake, it bums me out and it's, you know, it, it doesn't feel good and it sucks. But I have the ability to kind of pivot a little bit and say, hey, I fucked up. Now we have to rebrew this. And it's like, okay, well, it just kind of changes the schedule. Um, so there, there's, there's stuff that like, you know, we're, when we're working on it, um, because there was a small team, I think we really care about everything that's happening from the brewing side to hitting our specs to the quality side and making sure that there's never any potential problem for, um, a contamination, you know, I'm really, I'm really, really critical when it comes to my cleaning and my regimen. whenever it comes to sanitation. So I really take pride in everything that's happening. So when I do make a mistake or something does go wrong, I take it personally, probably a little bit more than others. Um, but I think that's the nature of what I'm doing. I think I'm, I really kind of care and just, I want to be able to I would, I would prefer to provide five IPAs that are awesome as opposed to giving them 10 IPAs and then say, ah, well, you know, that was not so great. So I think that's kind of how we take it. That's how we look at things in small batch. And because we don't have, you know, we don't do any blending for us. It's like, what you get is what you get. And I only have so much space and room. So I really want to do the best.
0: Back with Laura in a flash, but I wanted to offer a quick word of thanks to this episode's sponsor, Cigar City Brewing, makers of Hunapu Imperial Stout. And what is it? Well, it's dark chocolate, mocha, cinnamon, and molasses aromas, all competing for attention on the nose, with a soft alcohol spiciness and dark fruit notes complementing. Imposing an assertive on the palate, this Imperial Stout immediately presents espresso, baker's chocolate, and plum flavors that give way to cinnamon, toffee, and an earthy hop quality. Scoville Heat quickly builds with each sip, while a soft bitterness and moderate carbonation provide counterpoint to this viscous, complex creation. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. Your first job in a brewery was at Odell in Fort Collins, Colorado, right? Correct. And you were on the packaging line. I was. How quickly after starting that job did you start to get ideas that you might want to brew?
2: I You know what? If you were to ask Doug O'Dell, he'd probably tell you he didn't think I was into beer. Um, I don't think I got that. I don't think I got any of that feeling or desire until I got to Stone. I really, I loved O'Dell. They are an amazing company. Um, I... You know, if I didn't want to get out of Fort Collins, I'd probably still be working there if they'd still have me. Um, but I I didn't. I was working on the packaging line. And I think for me, I was coming from being a bartender. Uh, I think for me, I, would, I was just really excited to work at a brewery. And at the time, it was, like, super cool. So by the time I got to Stone, <laughs> that whole, like, novelty of working at a brewery was definitely wore off. I was like, look, I know how to work on a packaging line. I'm efficient. I know how to do my job. Like you should be able to hire me. This should be no problem. So I think it wasn't until I got to Stone and I got hounded by the by a couple of the packaging guys. Like, do you homebrew? Do you homebrew? And I'm like, no, I don't homebrew. I work at a brewery. Why would I homebrew?
0: Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we get our case allotments every month. Why would I? Why on earth would I brew beer? Yeah.
2: So that's the thing. It's so I'm I'm of the generation, or I'm the group that like I was buying my brother homebrewing books, and I was working at the brewery. And I was watching the things, you know, the packaging line and keg washing and, you know, cleaning draft line. So for me, it was, (laughs) I didn't get into brewing because I had this deep passion that I wanted to make beer and I wanted, you know, oh, for me, it was, I I was lucky. I got into Odell. They were never hiring and I was, had a a lucky break, but I got into this company and I had some awesome opportunities there, but I was personally looking to grow. And that's why I was like, Hey, stone tiring. it's weird. Stone tiring. Like this yeah. is crazy. Let me apply. The and weather's nicer too. Yeah. When I when I applied, I, I I didn't know what an IPA was. I I mean, Od- Odell didn't make IPAs. Yeah. Like it was so making the beers or seeing the beers and tasting the beers here on the West Coast was like. Totally different palette. I was like, what is going I've,
0: on? I, I've seen you, I, I've seen that quote that, you, you know, when you got to Stone, you didn't know what an IPA was, even though you had worked at Odell's. But, like, let, let's be honest, Colorado is no slouch when it comes to beer overall. Were you just not paying attention to other breweries? You were just oh, kind of going it- in, punching the clock. Oh, I was home? paying
2: attention to other breweries. I mean, we were we were watching. I mean, I knew what was going on over it. i the beers that were coming off of New Belgium and Great Divide. I mean, I was seeing things that were coming. I just I, I, I think it just my mindset just wasn't at wasn't there at that moment. I think I just was kind of like, I don't know, young, twenty something.
0: And going Not into
2: not but, like these kids these
0: days. Kids today. Um, but going into to San Diego of all places and saying that out loud, I mean, did, did they think you were punking them? Did they think like you weren't serious? Who, Odell? No, the Stone oh. folks.
2: Oh, I no, I don't I don't think they asked. I think I think Steve might I had an interview with Lee Lee Chase. Uh he was great. He pretty much walked me around. I don't remember what he asked me. Um I had an I had a meeting with like the production team in a conference room and that was really weird and interesting. Um, cause it was all dudes and I was like, Whoa, like what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and then I had a meeting with Greg and Steve and Greg was like all super happy. And Steve was like, Greg Oh, Cook we... and Steve
0: Wagner, the founders. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And he's like, Oh yeah. But, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't go to Mexico like Odell does. And I'm like, I don't care. I just, I'm just looking for a job. Like I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Greg was, Greg Cook was all on board and Steve was like, oh, I don't know about this. (laughs) So, but here I am almost 17 years later and they still can't get rid of me.
0: Well, so that's interesting that you pointed out that it was all dudes in the room. And one of the things that I love about your story uh, and that I I heard you talk about this in China a little bit and then uh, you've given subsequent interviews, but um, you had, I guess what would be a chance encounter on the blue, uh, on the, on the brewing for floor one day um that sort of led you onto this new path and where you are with pink boots
2: yes terry Farendorf.
0: who's wonderful by the way but yes
2: she's she's amazing she had this is when she had quit her job she went on a beer tour as the road brewer because yeah. she wanted to visit friends but also potentially scope out new places to live um and she comes strolling in on a saturday to to stone we knew she was coming jeremy and i were were working jeremy monier um i had just been promoted not very not very long before this to brewer from the cellar running the filter that we had and she just so happened to show up on a saturday and i was running the filter that day and i was like oh hi who are you and you know, I met her and she was like, oh, yeah, I've been a brewmaster for 20 years. I'm like, women can do this for a living? Like, this is a career? And I said it, I'm sorry. Sure I feel I like you've like been in this industry
0: and, and around things and are, like, amazed by certain things, like IPAs or.
2: <laughs> I know, I, I need to get a life. I don't know what an IPA is. I didn't know women could be brewers. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't know that you couldn't. Like, I just didn't know that women made a career out of this. And I. I think it's. I'd never. I didn't know who Millie Melly, what Melly Pullman was. I didn't know who Carol Stowe was. This is also before, like the. I think MySpace was like the big thing. Sure. So We weren't big social media people. No, that's, and, that
0: that that's a good point. And there were there weren't a ton of books, or you know, I mean, there were articles in certain magazines back then, but yeah.
2: And again, I think I was just you know focused on what was happening you know the growth that was happening at stone i mean when i got to stone i we were at that the the now lost Abbey location we were at that yeah. that location for only like a year so they were in massive growth um and so things were happening really fast when i got to stone so i think that a lot of a lot of it was just kind of like overwhelming you know i'm moving to old brand new state i don't know anybody so it's already overwhelming you know and then i I worked my way up relatively quickly from packaging into the filter and then to brewer. So I had started in 2004 and by 2006, I was already brewing on the big system. So when I met her, I just, I think I was kind of like looking at the situation going, what, you know, what's my next move? What do I do? You know, if this is my career, like, you know, how do you make a career out of this? How do you, how do you make longevity here? And so by meeting her and then asking questions and then also expressing frustration and then having the conversations of how do I go about addressing the things that I want to address without the stereotypical, like, well, you're coming off as a bitch, you're coming off emotional, et cetera, et cetera, which I still do, by the way. Um, those are all still my famous, my famous traits. And I don't, I won't get rid of them. Good. Um, Cause I don't think it has anything to do with being too emotional, too driven, too bitchy, whatever. Right as soon as this is who i am you get the package
0: <laughs> so I like that yeah
2: I, when i met her and she started talking about how you know all these other women you know had paved the way and had been working the industry and i was like just kind of floored and i was like well i'd love to have a conversation with another woman like what's for somebody else to like have have the same understanding of maybe what i'm going through or maybe just you know i can ask my questions and not feel like i'm being considered dummy. Um, and I had a, a really a great group of guys that we worked with. So it wasn't like they weren't willing to assist or help me. I think it was a personal thing. I think women tend to automatically assume a lot of things about themselves in the negative or lower sense. So I think I was definitely going through that and having that conversation with Terry. And then I also felt that because she had nobody there to hang out with her. And I'm like, we're well, hanging out with me all day. <laughs> and then she had nothing to do. And Escondido, where the brewery, breweries located at the time there was nothing around i'm like yeah. well the bistro is here let's go have dinner and we literally talked and that's how she mentioned pink boot society because she was wearing these pink rubber boots and i was like yeah that would be fantastic if you can go and collect other names and other women and we can make. and i was never a part of a sorority in college so i was just kind of like i let's connect let's have a let's have a network of some sort like i'd love to meet other women that are in this industry that are doing the same job
0: and so fast forward uh nobody has MySpace anymore um but
2: well tom it, does right <laughs> but i'm bumping.
0: wow so. wow you just had that one loaded in the chamber <laughs> like that's just you've just been dying for somebody to make a myspace reference at you for for years now it seems my gosh um but all right, so Tom has my space, but none of the rest of us do. And he's very lonely over there. Um, but there is a network now, and there is an yeah. international organization that is Pink Boots, and there are women talking, you know to each other in the industry and helping each other along and you know being great resources, and it's 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 morphed into this wonderful education um, uh, group as well. But I'm curious if, I know there's still a lot of work to be done on multiple fronts in beer um, and equality and advocacy, but are you still finding that you're talking to women in general, um, with how big craft beer has gotten or how mainstream it is or, or not, um, that women outside of the industry are still surprised, you know, that there's a place for women in beer as careers, like. It, it, what, that no. conversation that you had early on with terry do you find that that's replicated or is that have we thankfully moved past that
2: I, I'm, well i think that i think we could definitely use more women women in the brewing space in production space realizing that there are lots of opportunity inside a production role that women could hold you know um it doesn't have to just be brewing. It could be packaging. It could be in distribution. It could be in engineering. I think there's a lot of space that still could be filled in that sense. Um, I think a lot of women. For 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 example, there was a woman who worked for us very briefly. She happened to be moved out from the west, the east coast to the west coast, uh, and she was in engineering school. Um, and COVID had obviously changed things for her which is why she couldn't, she didn't stay with us very long, but she was an engineer and she did not know that other women were engineers. So I think it's it's still out there. I think women still don't know that that role is available for them. That opportunity for them to hold that space is also there. It's not so much where it's like, it's like jaw dropping. It's definitely, you know, making women aware that there are opportunities and that there are lots of different spaces that they could hold.
0: When the year started, when 2020 started and we all had hope and promise and spring in our step, um, this was going to be your last year's president of pink boots. What were you hoping to accomplish? And how did COVID change that?
2: Oh. uh, well, we were, we were coming off of uh, probably our strongest year, 2019 was amazing for us, and we were going into what was going to look like another solid growth when it came for members, when it came for scholarships specifically. Um, In 2018 and 2019, we doubled our scholarship amount from probably 20 to 43, and we were on a roll to offer about 68. And obviously, with everything closing, um, everything kind of had to pivot to online, so we, I think this year, we'll still offer about 40 plus, around 43 scholarships, which is pretty impressive, which is really important to the organization and to our mission. Um, but, you know, we our largest fundraiser happens to be Collaboration Brew Day, which takes place in March to celebrate Women in and yeah. International Women's Day. And so a lot of brewers, um, had purchased the hops, thankfully, but made beer. And then those beers sat in tanks. And so they didn't get packaged or if they did get packaged, they got, um, ran on limited runs. And I know lots of brewers and breweries are struggling and we're, we were struggling back in March or still struggling now. So, you know, that kind of took a hit for us, um, so we we were on a trajectory to do really well, and obviously we kind of had to refocus. Um, we took things, you know, to, to Zoom. We connected with our chapter leaders. We did what we could. We were doing what we can for our members. Um, we're still offering scholarships. We have decided to look at Pink Boot Society, the organization as a whole, and we focused back um, on ourselves. So we offered. We created an online platform, so we're taking things from off of social media and making it more for member only, so that conversations can be held privately, so that we know that we have a little bit more control—not to censor, but like control over. This is a member organization, therefore members are communicating, sure. um, directing the dialogue. Uh, well, that so also we makes it
0: easier to actually have more honest and thoughtful conversations because
2: yes and not all our members are on social media so it's not like they're going to facebook every day to check up on what's happening but this is it's also giving us the you know the board and pink boots national a chance to connect with all of our international members as 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 one you know we australia has been a strong chapter for several years and so having a connection Um, just through the community platform with them has been really, really impactful, Um, but it also just gives the chance for the the, the members themselves to connect and ask questions and get a vast um, array of of feedback and topics and conversation, and then we're able to create our educational uh, library that we've wanted to do for so long where we can (laughs) hold content and and put information that people can reference. And, you know, we're sharing SOPs, we're sharing information, like we're able to store this in one location now. So um, we did a little bit of focusing back on the organization for the longevity for the group. Um, But we'll see 2021, you know, it's going to be really challenging, but I'm really hopeful we opened up our membership to other fermented beverages, instead of constantly telling the cider ladies, no, 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 we finally <laughs> said, you know what? Come on in. Because we want to be able to be more inclusive. We want to be able to offer more opportunities. As brewers, they themselves are looking to pivot. You know, some of them are going to kombucha. Some of them are going to distilling. We didn't want to just focus on beer since even locations themselves are kind of opening their doors wide open. So we've done a little bit of that. And I've been... <laughs> it's been a lot of growth personally for myself. So it's not just like watching pink boots grow. I think I've grown tremendously. I didn't even think I could hold the role and I'm, I'm proud of what we've done and I'm really proud of the women that I've had a chance to connect with. And I've also had a lot of chances to connect with a lot of my mentors. um, And that's been really, really, really important for me as I kind of moved into my next (laughs) Whatever my next life is going to be.
0: Well, I'm I'm curious because I imagine that you don't want to sway too much the the, the new leadership coming in because they, they they should have every opportunity to lead the organization in the way that you know they want to and you know that hopefully is is best for it. But as you think about the evolution of Pink Boots from that early dinner with Terry at the bistro and how it's evolved over time. What's one or two things, you know, if 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 all goes well in the world, which it's a crapshoot, you know, a couple of years from now, you'd like to see the organization be doing?
2: I'd like for us to, you know, we tout ourselves as as being the go-to organization. Um, I'd like for us to be the organization that brewers and breweries go to to seek women. That they want to bring onto their enrols. Um, I, I think. I think a lot of times companies don't go looking for diversity, and I think that that might be something that at Pink Boot Society we could be able to provide, having a vast range of of um, women that come in all different, you know, like sizes, and everything else about them, with educational components, you know, career opportunities. I think that would be one of my one of my most favorite things for pink boots to to see um i'd also like for us to be able to offer some sort of certificate like if we were to even partner with some sort of school um, or program that could offer a range of different topics or areas um kind of similar what to what the mba does they do a quick two-week brewing program if we were to do something similar i think that would be pretty impressive That way women could attend in a safe space and learn as much as they can about brewing, about cider, about whatever it is, or maybe all of them together. I think that would be pretty incredible.
0: So this may be the... Interview that I've done that is closest to when it's being uploaded. Um, right now it's 9:30 on a Tuesday night on the East Coast, uh, and this show will be uploaded uh, to all of the listeners by midnight. And so today the big news was the first vaccines for COVID-19 started rolling out in the UK. And I think most of us uh, here in the U.S. woke up to pictures from Britain uh, with people getting vaccinated, which it feels kind of cool and that there's a little bit of hope at the end of the, the you know, this darkness as it is. Um, when we can get back to normal, when we can travel again and when we can drink in bars again and when we can uh, convene as a as, you know, species, but, you know, as, as beer people, beer loving people, where do you want to go for a pint? What are you missing right now?
2: Oh man, uh, I'd probably go to a place called Fathom. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a tiny little bar on the water downtown San Diego uh, or in Shelter Island. They've only got like four tables, but it's just got a great view of San I've Diego. Yeah, we we know we know one of the bar one of the the uh, bartenders who's typically there, Migs. We also know Dennis, and so. It, <sighs> I think we could just definitely go there and see a familiar face and that's definitely where I'd go.
0: Excellent. Laura, thanks for taking the time and being on the show today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me, John. Thanks for letting me ramble about everything.
0: That's Laura Ulrich of Stone Brewing. If you're local, safely stop by and see what's small batch and good at the brewery and learn more about Pink Boot Society at pinkbootsociety.org. Also, a bit of housekeeping. Make sure to head over to Facebook and join the This Week in Roush Beer group. There's always something smoky going on. And if beer audio is your thing, make sure you listen into to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch for deep dive conversations with interesting brewery owners and more. And also head over to BeerEdge.com for articles and to sign up for the newsletter. Every Monday, look out for a new episode of Steal This Beer, and once a month, download the BYO Nano podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe to the show and to leave a review. You can always reach me via email at johnhall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beeredge.com, or on Twitter at john underscore hall. You know the deal. Nate Schweber does the music. He's got a new album out called Gaps. You can find that on nateschweber.bandcamp.com. And Jeff Quinn designed our logo. All right. Before we go this week, a word of thanks to Cigar City Brewing. They're our sponsor for this episode. And joining me again on the line is Mark Lapierre. He's the brewery operations manager for Cigar City Brewing. And we're talking about Hunapu's Imperial Stout. Mark, you touched on this at the top of the show about the adjuncts, but let's Talk about the base beer itself and what it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The base beer for Hunapu is uh, Marshall Zukov's Imperial Stout, uh, one of our most popular beers. It's a triple mash stout. It's got loads of uh, English specialty malts, uh, chocolate malts. Um, Gives a nice chocolatey espresso character that really holds up on its own, um, especially in the presence of all the spices um, that we add to Hunapu.
0: So for those who haven't had Hunapu before, hit us with the stats on it.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, last year's was 11.8% alcohol, uh, IBUs were 60, and original gravity, 30 Play-Doh.
0: Cool. We're headed into a new year. I'm sure a lot of the beer fans who make the annual trek down to your part of the country are already getting worried and excited and nervous and are, are eager to know more. What can you tell me right now about the future of Hunapu Day 2021?
1: Yeah. For next year, um, I can tell you the beer will be released in March of 2021. Um, Any details around that release or any um, details on the festival um, are coming soon. So please keep an eye on our website and social media accounts.
0: Cool. And that website is CigarCityBrewing.com. Thanks, Mark, and thanks again to Cigar City for sponsoring this episode of the show. And one more time, a reminder to check out CigarCityBrewing.com to learn more about Hunapu Imperial Stout, as well as all of their other beers. And I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.